Welcome to the B'nai International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in. Now, while you're settling in, be sure to visit our website, B'nai like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play on your smartphone. We're pleased to welcome to the podcast today, Tova Duplessis. Tova launched Essen Bakery in South Philadelphia just over a year ago. She's lent her talents to some of the finest restaurants, including Le Becfin and the Rittenhouse Hotel in Philadelphia. She has a degree in baking and pastry from the Culinary Institute of America. Tova, welcome to the program. Thank you. You opened Essen Bakery a year ago in South Philadelphia. Uh, Essen means eat in Yiddish. Yes. What makes Essen Bakery a Jewish bakery? Well, what makes us a Jewish bakery really is the items that we that we make. Um, a lot of what I'm making, the baked goods, are things that I grew up making with my mom. Maybe not everything in the bakery, but the core of what we do, um, like some of our best sellers are challah, challah bread, which I make. I used to make growing up every week with my mom for Shabbat, um, as well as babka, which I didn't make as often with my mom, but it was a special occasion kind of thing. Um, my mom would use dairy, butter, and uh, milk in her recipe, um, and that made it like something for a special occasion. It's also more labor-intensive, so um, for me, there's that really strong connection that childhood childhood memory that I have with making babka and that's something that I've even though I was probably you know five seven ten years old when I did this with my mom it's something that I'm so attached to it I, I it's a memory that doesn't go away for me so um that's something that I reconnected with when I decided to open my own bakery is those memories um, of course, we do a lot more than just those things that I made in my house growing up. Um, I've also tried to explore all these different Jewish foods and kind of like make them cool and new again. You know, in recent years, uh, there have been a, a number of uh, Jewish cookbooks that have come out, uh, which um, mm-hmm. kind of cross uh, lines inside the Jewish community. A number of them uh, focus on Sephardic cooking. Um, mm-hmm. do you, uh, do you do that as well? Or are you kind of, uh, do you limit yourself to, let's say central or Eastern European baking? Oh, it's funny that you say that because, um, that is something I struggle with is our identity as a bakery and, um, the roots of, of the foods that we're making. So, um, funny enough, it's interesting that you brought up the, the Middle Eastern or Sephardi, um, foods because. Um, of course I want to, uh, you know, I want to be known as a Jewish bakery and, and that to me means Eastern European because that's the Judaism I was, uh, and the traditions that I was raised with. Um, but at the same time, um, I've come to embrace, I also lived in Israel for nine months, um, and visited Israel dozens of times over my life. So I also embrace all these other Jewish foods, um, 
which may not necessarily be Ashkenazi. And for that reason, in our bakery, we actually, we make croissants, uh, which is not Jewish at all. But, you know, people love croissants, so why not make them? And we put za'atar in one of our croissants. And then we make this labne hard-boiled egg za'atar sandwich on that croissant, which is hugely popular because it's just the perfect breakfast and it's delicious. So I don't really have a, I'm not very self-conscious about uh, being very pure in my concept um, because I, I like to embrace other flavors and things that people really enjoy, but try to still stick to that general theme of traditional Jewish foods. Well, I ask you for a reason because uh, my mother-in-law uh, was born in India and she's from the Baghdadi community there. Oh, wow. We have right now at home uh, a stock of her date cookies. And uh, that came uh, from her mother, and uh, that all came from India, which is where my mother-in-law was born. Uh, but you grew up in a kosher home, as I did. Uh, how did yes. that shape your view of food for a purpose beyond nourishment? Learning about kosher is very interesting, and I feel like it, it should give us a deeper meaning on food. And, and, and actually what it should do for us more than anything is respect respecting our food and where it comes from um, and respecting the fact that, you know, God is providing us with plants and animals and that it takes a lot of effort on our part to, to, you know, um, create these, to nurture these, you know, gifts that he gives us and, and to make them into food, to raise crops, to, um, you know, breed animals um, takes a lot of work, and I feel like we don't really respect that. And I must say, growing up, I don't think I really appreciated that. I don't think that that's what kosher taught me. All that kosher taught me was, uh, at least the environment that I was raised in, was just a set of rules. Um, and I, I don't feel like I had enough of that education on um, where our food comes from, sustainability, and a real appreciation of um of what we have, especially as a Jew, I feel like in, in Jewish history, there were just so many times where Jews didn't have access to, to food. Um, and a lot of our traditions, a lot of our, uh, uh, of course, because I'm on the food side, um, for me, what's interesting is that where these dishes came from. And a lot of, a lot of these dishes that we eat are actually a product of scraps. It was a, a way of, you know, using up scraps so that and it just shows that these traditions came from times that jews um were in poverty or didn't have access for for one reason or another to um to you know um healthy foods so i i wouldn't say i had a very positive um education when i you know as a result of coming from a kosher home um I, I believe really going through the the world of culinary school and into working in the industry, that gave me a, a greater appreciation. It's interesting because I always, I always tied the, the customs and the rules uh, to the foods. Um, and uh, I suppose that gave me uh, a greater appreciation, let's say, for the, the brisket that I ate or the latkes that my, <laughs> that my mother made. Um, but of course, it's uh, to each his or her own, her own to um, 
to assess um, the impact and the influence that that has on, on one's uh, particular taste in food. Uh, now, Jews seem to have a, a very deep connection to food. All of us do. Uh, whether it's uh, the weekly challah, which you mentioned, or matzah ball soup, at the high holidays, or many, many other foods. Why do some cultures or religions, do you think, have deep ties to particular foods? Well, I think a lot of those ties um, uh, are connected to tradition and holidays, and, and those foods are symbolic of those traditions, and that's why we have such deep ties to them. Um, of course, latkes is a great example. But when you eat this particular food once a year, there's just such an anticipation around it. It gives it this this importance, you know. And and that's why a lot of the traditional foods that we eat have this, you know, they're they're dishes or foods that we just uh, we get we place a lot of importance on. So we really look forward to eating them. For me, those traditions, I mean, every holiday was tied to certain foods. Um, and um, and also every, on Shabbat, we ate a very specific menu. So, and, and that meant it was Shabbat, the fact that we were making challah and my mother was making gefilte fish, uh, chicken soup, um, and a few other of her Shabbat uh, dishes those had such a ritual connected to them. On Friday afternoon, our kitchen smelled like challah and, and it actually smelled like potato kugel baking. Um, and that smell was like so ad addictive almost that we couldn't even wait. When we were little kids, we couldn't wait until dinner to eat the potato kugel. And eventually the potato kugel became a Friday afternoon snack <laughs> because we just couldn't wait to eat it. Um, and so I think that's, that's where the connection is. It's, it's tradition, holidays, Shabbat, and the, the, the importance of those occasions. And, and those, uh, those occasions are times that we stop and focus on something. So on, on Shabbat, we stop and we focus on, you know, um, thanking God for what we have and spending time with family. And so when you connect that to specific foods, those foods have greater meaning to you. Well, as you're describing it, it's almost as if the aroma is wafting right into our, <laughs> into our little studio here. So thank you for that, for that description. I, I grew up with a really great smelling house. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a, as a pastry guru today, what were your early cooking and baking influences? That's a really good question. I would say, of course, my the, my earliest is my mother. Um, she was never a very confident baker, but she she did enjoy to bake, and she encouraged me even more so. So she made me always in charge of the dessert and the cakes, um, which was interesting. Now that I now that I'm in my position today, I look back and realize that my mother sort of nurtured that because. She just made it my job. You know, she would tell me, you make dessert pretty much every week. So um, so I think that was that had a big influence on me, and I took a real interest in it. I still didn't plan to go to school for that or become a pastry chef or anything like that. Um, I just enjoyed it as a hobby. And um, 
I would say another big influence on me was when I went to Paris when I was 18. I was only there for a few days, but I probably visited two or three bakeries every day. <laughs> I would just, if I walked past a bakery, I would just walk in and, and get a, I remember I was very obsessed with raspberry tarts at that time and it was in the middle of summer. So the raspberries were probably really good. Um, and I would I'd get a raspberry tart and a croissant and I just couldn't get it. I just, I guess I'd never had pastries like that in my life. Um, and then I went to culinary school and um, I had really great instructors and I, I went to a phenomenal school. I went to the Culinary Institute of America in, in California to the um, the Napa Valley campus, which is unbelievable. It's beautiful, but you really become immersed in this world. You know, you're, you're gardening, farming um, fruits and vegetables. You're in class all day, learning all the ins and outs of baking. It was a very uh, thorough um, education that I got there. And I had really great instructors who were very accomplished. So um, it was great inspiration for me, you know, before I actually went into um, into the industry. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Paris uh, at the at the culinary incident. And I know what you're talking about because when I go to Paris, immediately head for the croissant, and you wind <laughs> up saying, I'll, "I'll have as many of these as I can over the next two days, and then uh, then go on a diet right. for the next few weeks." At the at the Culinary Institute, in terms of the the baking program, the pastry program, is is it largely French? I would say it is largely French. Um, uh, the best way to learn baking and pastry is to learn all the Fr French fundamentals first, um, because it covers all technique basically, um, and then it's you can kind of layer on top of that. Um, techniques and traditions from different cultures but um you know french pastry is just such a broad and technical um you know uh curriculum that that it's yeah a lot of what they do will will be french but uh, for example now breads you know in our advanced bread uh class we did a lot of italian breads and we did you know we learned how to make all kinds of breads because all all cultures have their breads. So whether it's a pita from the Middle East or um, a flatbread, a naan from India, or you know, um, Tuscan breads, we you know we kind of covered it all a little bit. Even challah, um, you know, Easter bread from different religions too. But we we did cover a lot. Um, so not just French, but it's a really, really thorough uh, education now that I, I look back on it. I want to go back to Jewish food for just a second. Uh, we've talked about Sephardic cooking and um, Ashkenazi food. Do uh, you think that Jewish food is, is about regions of the world, or is it more about a feeling? Uh, is there something about the food that... Um, that makes us feel a certain way. You know, you talked about the anticipation of Shabbat, the anticipation of the holidays, where we have certain foods once a year. But where do you think mm -hmm. it lies? Is it is it about about regional cooking, or is it about a, a feeling that relates to who we are as a people? Um, I do think that Jewish food is about a feeling a lot. Um, I think that we, 
do enjoy very comforting foods. Um, a, a lot of Jewish food today is uh, smoked, pickled, slow cooked. Um, all of the, if you think about it, it's almost very similar to soul food or southern foods. But I think for the same reasons that it all takes a lot of preparation, a lot of time and energy. Uh, patience but it's really rewarding like when you smoke something for a really long time there's there's nothing that tastes like that and you can and it's so satiating when you when you taste those foods um, and it it really takes a lot of time and expertise to make them so for me there is a lot of feeling I think because of the cooking methods there's a lot of slow cooking, a lot of patience, you know. Um, but I will say that Jewish food is very regional. Um, people come to me all the time with all their, you know, they tell me about all their traditions or they'll tell me about their grandmother's recipe, um, just like you did. And I hear the same things from, from people from around the world that, my grandmother used to make this dish, which is okay. Well, she's from Argentina, you know, so so she makes this, which is actually Argentinian, but that's what they make. That's what the Argentinian Jews make, you know. <laughs> and it's the same for me in South Africa. We have. I grew up with one of my favorite things that uh, my grandmother used to make. Actually, was called Danish herring, and I love this Danish herring. Um, and it's really pickled herring in a tomato sauce with apples and maybe some nuts mixed into it, um, some onion, uh, was one of my favorite things. But then when I tried to look into it, I realized it's not actually, it's not Danish, firstly, and it's really uniquely South African. It's just something that, you know, the South African Jewish community decided to do with their pickled herring. Um, so we're very influenced by the cultures around us. And of course, you see that best in, in Israeli food that, um, I think it's a very big debate about what Israeli food really is. Um, because in my opinion, there is no Israeli food. In my opinion, it's all borrowed food. It's all borrowed from the cultures around them and from the countries that they came from as well. So, you know, Eastern European Jews brought their foods, but there were foods already there from um, Palestinians, Lebanese, you know, and all the different people in, in the region. Well, we've got uh, time for one more question. Uh, what's the role of, you think, of food and cultural continuity about keeping people engaged in Judaism with Jewish foods? Uh, so I see such an important role with foods um, to keep people involved in our tradition because foods, um, food is something that's got such emotional attachment. And, you know, as a the Jewish community on a whole, we're trying to keep people engaged, involved, to continue, uh, you know, in, in order for them to retain their Jewish identity and continue Jewish traditions. Um, and I see food as playing a huge role in that. Uh, so if I, you know, decided to start going to synagogue on Saturday morning, I want to, you know, take my child to services if there is 
a really, really great challenge, <laughs> let's say. I know challenge doesn't sound exciting, but I, I can tell you my mother made such an amazing challenge that it, it creates memories. And if that, if there's an amazing challenge that somebody cooks every week in that synagogue, you can, you can almost bet that people will keep coming back, even if it's just for the food. And food is a great way of keeping people involved and, and, um, and it's a great way to interact because food is a, is a talking point. Well, we, um, it will always be a talking point. We, uh, <laughs> it sustains us. Uh, and uh, it, it really becomes, I think, with, uh, with TV programs uh, about f uh, cooking and, and uh, this plethora of cookbooks and all the things that happen uh, around food, um, it will always be a, a real subject of, uh, of conversation. Uh, Tova, Definitely. thank you very much uh, for joining us today. It's all the time for today. I would ask you uh, just, to, uh, just to repeat, uh, the name of the bakery is Essen Bakery. Why don't you give us the address Correct. in Philadelphia? We're at 1437 East Pashyank Avenue uh, in South Philly. That's um, on the corner of Pashyank and Dickinson. Um, we're open Tuesday through Sunday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. We just close a little early on Sundays, and we're closed on Monday. Uh, you can find us on the Internet uh, at www.essenbakery.com and you can find us on social media we're Essen Bakery alright we'll save some challah for us uh, thanks, <laughs> well again, thanks again for joining us for the B'nai B'rith <laughs> International podcast you're welcome thank you so much for having me our pleasure please visit our website B'nai like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android and lastly, tell a friend about us. For Tova Duplessis, I'm Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast.